This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com back here in studio with uh, Scott Kendall, kind of a special guest, Scott. You were, as you recall, I'm sure, the on the first Landmine Radio podcast ever. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I, th- I think I, I, it was you, me, and Austin Baird. Yep, Austin Baird in 2018. A little closer to that mic there. 2018? Uh, it was 2018, and uh, it was yeah. at the old downtown spot. Yep. And uh, I think I... I vividly remember saying on the pod, I was new, what are, you know, what are we talking about? And at some point I said, and folks who are listening, I'll literally do a podcast with anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for the compliment. And you were like, wow, Jeff, thanks a lot for the, you know, what, 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 a, what, a, what a compliment. I'm, I'm glad I set the bar high for you. That's right. It was, it was a, and you guys were still working for Walker. Yeah, yeah, it was. You and uh, Austin. Austin then. was press secretary, I was chief of staff, yeah. yeah I mean, I, it's a glowing endorsement when I, when I say literally the bar is anyone. Yeah, So as, I've done, as proven. I've done over 200 of these things. That's amazing. It's it's and you, if you count Landmine Love, which I'm, I'm sure you're a big fan of, like big I'm fan. Sure, you listen all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. We haven't done one of those for a while, so yeah, bring Sabrina back. She I, she, I gotta get, I gotta. She's in the valley. She's deputy mayor of Palmer. I know she's got she's got a real job. She's uh she's yeah we gotta we gotta get back on the podcast. Well, anyways, I wanted to talk to you about. There's a lot of things going on right now. I think the big one we can start uh, talking about is this recent. Uh, opinion today from the court on, on the recall right. of Dunleavy, which, which you were part of. You were doing legal stuff with them. Um, were, were you part of the initial forming of it, or were you – I kind of forget if it's been so long. Yeah, so I wasn't um, – you know, I, I'm not, like, officially part of the campaign, but I did um, help some people draft the original petition, and then I defended it in court. So mm-hmm. sort of have been there, you know, de facto attorney kind of throughout. So this started in 2019 – Right. Um, I guess around summer, summer maybe? August, or? July or August, whenever the vetoes happened. Yeah. And then they got the first round of signatures pretty pretty quickly. That was the first round to be able to get the second round for the, for the signature, like the, for the ballot. Right. Essentially. And then, and then the COVID happened, which I think a lot of folks recognize um, helped out Big Mike. Oh, yeah. I mean, that froze everything up, I think. A little closer. Sorry. Yeah, I think activists who are going to gather signatures are not going to be the people who break COVID protocols. So I think, appropriately, I think, everything came to a stop. It's hard to get signatures if you can't. I mean, a lot of folks go to the stores or, you know, outside of public places and it was busy. And the summertime, there was a big thing at some of these big events. Mm -hmm. They were getting signatures. Um, You and I have talked about this quite a bit. I mean, I'm not a fan of recalls. Really, unless, I mean, in my view, it's like you got to be murder somebody, you know, be missing for a few months. Like, remember the guy years ago from, was it, Virginia, no, South Carolina? Remember the guy who went Sanford, hiking? Sanford, the Appalachian Trail guy. He was, he yeah. was like sick and then nobody knew. And then he was out, and then he was out with his like mistress, right? I think he was in South America somewhere ultimately. He was out of the country. Right, right. So, so I mean, I think, uh, you know, really bribery, if you're caught taking, bri- like, what, what does the statute say? It's dereliction of duty, corruption, incompetence. Yeah, those, is, is that right? Yeah, failure to perform uh, statutory duties. I mean, it's it's very broad. It's broad in the Constitution. It's broad in the statutes. It is. So, so the court re- ruling today. Um, maybe talk a little bit. I read through some of it, and I saw some. An article. Yeah. So, what's interesting about that is, um, you know, we won at the Supreme Court April of 2020. By then, COVID was happening, so we won. But of course, signature activities had, for all intents and purposes, stopped. But they you, did a summary. You won, you won the initial. They, they opposed it and said these aren't really grounds for recall. Right. So we won in Superior Court in January, and then we won at the Supreme Court in April, but the Supreme Court didn't tell us why. They said, we understand this is timely, so you won, but we're going to tell you why later. And it took, you know, pr- apparently the better part of a year and a half to tell us, um, and that's what the decision today was. Here is our reasoning, you know, 48 pages. Um, what's interesting in it, I mean, there's no surprises because you already knew you won. It's a little like opening a present you already know you got. Um, but what's interesting in it to me um, as a lawyer is the, the the announcement and I think the articulation of a clear rule that the line item veto power can run afoul 
of the separation of powers. If you use the line item veto to punish or coerce or interfere with another branch of government, it's an unlawful use. And now, so that's been announced now. Now, in, Dun- in Dunleavy's case, that was one of the reasons was right. for the abortion stuff, right? The Yeah, it was a little weird. So he vetoed $330,000, which is significant, but in the grand scheme of the court system budget, not you know not enough to cripple them, right? But what he said was, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I'm doing this because you have said Medicaid has to pay, you know, the public funds have to pay for abortions and women's health care services. So I'm, I'm punishing you for that. Well, this was, this was in the notes, like what, right. he, what he wrote. So right. if he didn't do that, like if somebody vetoes something, you, you, can, you never know. In this case, they wrote it down, which I'm still puzzled why they did that. Right. Maybe and then it did it again the next year and wrote it down. On the second veto? Yeah, the second year they did the same veto. So, so when you write it down, obviously it's clear what your intent is because you're saying it. But right, that's but a, a, a lot a, of things get vetoed, and how how would you ever prove you were doing it in a punitive way? Right. So hypothetically, if he had vetoed three hundred thousand from the court system, and just called his allies and said, "I'm doing this to them because of abortion funding," but in his notes had put um, cost containment. There's no recall. There's no. There's no. Well, that that, that the was one of the right things you guys. And so, I mean, it really ties into today, right? Because everyone's asking, well, "What does that mean about the legislative per diem?" And I said, "Oh, I looked at the document, and all it says is legislative per diems vetoed two million dollars." But what he has said publicly is, they didn't act on my constitutional amendment, and they didn't give me a PFD of the size I want. So it raises. I mean, under this newly announced rule, it raises. Has he, real has he said they didn't act on my? I mean, I think he said they didn't get the job done and it took them a long time to do a budget and I think they're getting all this money and there's no dividend or there's a small dividend. Yeah, he didn't, they didn't deal with the permanent fund question and they didn't deal with the dividend question. And so they shouldn't get paid. Um, but in the context of him saying, um, I want SDR six through and I want a bigger dividend. This dividend's a joke. See, I think, um, per diems in the constitution. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, sh- uh, may, uh, it doesn't say shall, it says may they, they have to get right. a salary. They may, they, they may receive per diem. Right. And this goes back to the territorial legislature when there was very little money. Right. The salaries were low and people were getting paid off by mi- mining interests or wh- whoever had money because right. these legislators. There was need- no campaign finance limits. People were writing, you know, enormous checks. to people. All kinds of shady stuff was, that right. was back in the 50s and for, before. Um, I'm, I'm under the belief that we should just pay legislators 150000 no per diem. You get a really good salary um, and you have no other jobs. Right. And you know if you if you do it in thirty days or five you know fifty days or eighty, two hundred days whatever you get here's your here's your salary. Yeah, I mean treat it like a full time job because it really has it is a, a full time job. It has evolved into being because you are a legislator. You go to the store, you're dealing with constituents, and it's tough to keep a day job when you have this other job. And, that, and most of staff make more than the, the legislators make fifty grand. Yeah, a salary plus the per diem. Um, yeah, and and you've been to Juno. I mean, it's not cheap living there. Right. I mean, I'm sensitive to the idea of per diem is we're paying people day by day to not get the job done. Like, I, I'm kind of sensitive to that. But these are real people who, if if this veto stands and, and this is the person's only job, and it is tough to have another job when you're a legislator, you just took 30% of their income and mm-hmm. actually have placed a barrier on them getting to Juno, living in Juno, feeding themselves, living there. How is that not coercive? How is that not a problem? Well, I, mean, I, I always cite Sarah Rasmussen, who's young, who's your representative, right? right she has a right, husband. Right. They both they both make good money. They have two kids, um, and, and her going to Juno, it's she forgoes income at her job. Right. It's it's not easy, and those are supposed to be a citizen legislature. Right. So if you're young with a family, it's it's very difficult. Even if you have no kids, but you have a job, and you right. make, I have a lot of friends. I've asked, hey, you should run. Maybe, have you ever thought about running for legislature? And they just kind of usually laugh and say. So are you fucking kidding me? Like I make this much money and I don't want to deal with people like like me. Right. And and, and you're going to take four or five months off your regular job. If you're Matt Clayman, your attorney, you can make a lot more being an attorney. Um, and you don't have that disruption to your life. So it is a it's a hard sell. And we through the way, you know, the, the capital is isolated through per diem, through low salary. Um, we make it tough for to have good candidates. I mean, there are many, many fine oh, legislators. The, the pool is, I think if you paid him what, 150 and, and um, I think you'd raise the pool. And by, you by would you would get rid of kind of the perverse incentive. I mean, everyone complains about them just collecting a per diem. We'll just make it a salary. And then they every incentive is to get your job done as efficiently as possible. And so you align incentives with outcomes. I, I, I totally yeah. agree. I don't know if 150 is the right number, 
but I agree. I mean, the commissioners make about 140, right? And yeah, yeah. And no, the I, governor makes about that. I mean, all right, call it 130. Right. No, no, I totally agree, though. It should be it should be treated as a full time job, and it should be paid like a full time job. Well, the thing is, it is a full time job, and anybody who tells right. you, even if you have other other people do other things in the interim, I mean, even even if it's four months, and I mean, some people are the people who are really working. Are working ten hours a day, more sometimes. Yeah, the, I mean, six the, seven days a week. The good legislators are going to community council. They're taking calls. They're replying to emails. I mean, granted, I've lived most of my life in the private sector, but when I worked in public service, I've never worked so hard in my life. the The, the questions and the input never stops. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, you get what you pay for. Yeah. So, so one of the things in this decision uh, ex- explanation from the court uh, was it Stowers? Was he the one who basically said? Um, you know, this is not something the court really wants to be involved in. You, the legislature needs to do a little bit of refining here, or may, maybe. Yeah, um, he seemed to agree with the other two grounds, but he disagreed on the veto grounds. Um, so he he agreed with the, um, you know, the misuse of public funds for the advertisements. Um, what was the other one? I reported that one, too. The uh, Yeah, yeah. So so he agreed the, the campaign, on most For the of campaign, them. going against... Some of the legislators, like Giesel. Yeah, yeah and Giesel, and then, then in favor of others. Rivak and Mia. Mm-hmm. So, so he dis- But he disagreed on the separation of powers issue. Again, it's a 4-1 decision, um, but he raises you know, uh, legitimate public policy concerns. So the governor put out a press release kind of talking about it, but then he also talked about the court, the judges. Yeah, I mean, that, the press release. that to me is the disturbing aspect. I mean, granted, if I were him, I'd probably not comment about the political recall of myself on official letterhead. You can argue about whether that's even appropriate to get into it because although it arises out of his job, it's become a political question, right? Whether you like it or don't. But the part at the end of his press release where he essentially attacks the judiciary, it's just this, I can't win, so let's change the rules. I can't win, so let's change the umpires. I mean, Alaska has the best judicial appointment system in the country. And the governor said, I lost a case, therefore... Let's tear that system down that stood for 60 years. So I talked with Senator Giesel, uh, former Senator Giesel. We did a podcast recently, and I talked about the fact that every 10 years we have a question on the ballot for a constitutional convention. Um, some states do 20 years. Some, you know, we do 10 years. It's never been close. Right. But also, I couldn't find any example of it ever being really pushed. Yeah. I think this next election, the governor um, and some people are going to push for a constitutional convention over, you know, the the, the just judicial council over the dividend issue over all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty disturbing that clearly this is a this is a coherent strategy on his part, right? He has been pushing this idea and and the constitutional convention questions always failed by 2 to 1 or worse yeah. because as you say, no one legitimate pushes it because I don't think people understand what it is, but it's literally start over. You start over, you tear it up. It's a tabula rasa, blank slate. And, and you, you have to elect uh, delegates, which I the legislature can appoint us uh, special election, or you can do it at the next general, but you have to elect delegates. Right. Um, which, which, I mean, I'm not, I don't think we should do, I, I don't think opening the books in this political climate's a, a wise idea, but if, if it were to happen, I'm going for it. <laughs> you're you're going to be on make, the Make delegation. me the fucking secretary of that convention, you know, put, put my name on that. I mean, it, it, but if you think about it, I mean, there's something for everyone to lose. You want to lose your right to free speech under the Alaska Constitution. You want to lose your right to marijuana under the Alaska right, Constitution. Right, but wouldn't the, but still the, the the federal the U.S. Constitution would trump the Bill of Rights stuff. That's gonna it does. But again, the the fundamental way our 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 government operates. I mean, are we guaranteed well, I mean, the, an independent judiciary? Apparently not. The are judicial we, council would be an interesting one. The, the are privacy we guaranteed clause. education? We wouldn't be anymore. So these things would all be. I mean, one of the one of the prime targets is, of course, well, let's stop public funding of education. Let's just put it into private and religious schools. And that's something prohibited by the last Constitution. Well, you, you get, um, depending who delegates would be, I think it would just be, I don't even know what kind of circus that would create. I mean, and it's really, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a solution in search of a problem because when you look around the country, Alaska's Constitution, you know, maybe because it was one of the last ones formed, it's considered sort of the gold standard in terms well, of personal protections, in terms of functions of government. Well, even our redistricting board, the way that's chosen, a lot of states, the older states, the legislatures, legislatures do it. Right. And can imagine that. Right. It's contentious and partisan enough as it is, but imagine if, if the 60 legislators just sat down and hashed out the lines for themselves. And that's, that could be what we're going to. So it, people should pay attention to this I mean, issue. I think if, and, if this convention comes up, it's a constitutional question, I, mean, I think you're going to have a whole... 
group of all kinds of different people opposing it, but you're going to have a group, a group or the governor in this case, I think, um, supporting it. So it, it could be, I think it would almost be a, a parallel campaign as far as when the dividend comes up or when the, the how judges get picked, pick get, get brought up or how pri- anything gets brought up it's going to say well constitutional convention constitutional convention yeah i mean it's been a common theme i think with this administration to pick losing fights and then when the fight's over say well um the rules were stacked against me that's why i lost you know that's been the the rhetoric out of court case losses out of other things that haven't gone through um that's been a common theme so i think that the constitutional convention is sort of the ultimate culmination of that we can't win we can't get done what we want to get done um, we want to, you know, we want to take this away, this away, this away, this away. We want to change this, this, and this, and now we can do whatever we but, want. I mean, and, but to be fair, I mean, in the Constitution says every ten years there's a vote. So right. they they did want. I, I think I was talking to somebody. It's because at the time, you know, it was just 1959. It was pretty recently. It was a new state, um, and they said, okay, maybe 20 years isn't enough. Let, let's go, or maybe 20 years is too much time. Right. Let's go 10 years because obviously things can change a lot. Right, they really can. And and there's an amendment process, you know, mm-hmm. that takes care of that. But the idea of sort of literally, you know, wiping out the constitution. I, I call it opening the books. Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean it's 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 pretty amazing. I mean, to think in today's political climate, which I think everyone would say has gotten toxic, that we're gonna write a document meant to stand for decades in that environment, a little bit scary. Well uh Adam Schiff year year ago or something was on Bill Maher. And I don't know if it was Schiff or Maher. I think Maher brought this up. You know, he said, look, this fucking thing's 250 years old. Let's, let's redo it. And I think it was Schiff that was like, uh, I don't think we should be redoing this right now. Right. Like giving these people all the, you know, all these folks control of this process. Um, well, and but- there's the other thing is, um, you know, as it, as it has evolved over time, to some degree, it's a historical document and we own our mistakes. Was, you know, the three-fifths compromise a mistake? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting, but we own that. It's there. It's part well, the, of the, the record. The three amendments after the Civil War, you know, the, obviously the, you know, the, you know, the 13th Amendment. Right. And then the, 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 the other ones dealt with, um, uh, well, there's three amendments after the Civil War. Right. 13th, 14th, and 15th. 15th and correct. They all dealt with, like, Civil War issues and those were the, those were the big ones you know, yeah Lincoln. making making the ins, the formerly enslaved into full citizens which mm-hmm. of course didn't really culminate until the 60s in the civil rights act because of jim crow and all the things they tried to do to push back but i mean i think that's you know that's why you know personally i almost never delete a tweet right because if i tweet something stupid i'll just comment later like oh that was dumb like we should own our mistakes we should yeah. we should we should let that be part of the historical record it's not, funny not whitewash things. it's funny how when some people get ready to run for election, you, you can go back and check. They've deleted like all of their tweets or all their Facebook posts. Right. right. Which I guess sometimes, you know, maybe somebody does said something really stupid back in the day, but it's, uh, I think you're right. You know, it, it's like, we all, we all say things. Yeah. That's, that's what I always come, you know, respond to. If I say something dumb or write something stupid, which I've done, right. you know, I write stuff, a lot of stuff. I write words all the time and I say right. things all the time. And yeah, likewise, you know, yeah. You know, it's recorded or it's written down. So, um, we, everybody makes mistakes. Well, personal growth is a real thing, right? I can, I can say or do something that wouldn't be tolerated and look back on it in three weeks or three years and say, yeah, my bad. I was, I was dumb. There's nothing wrong. You know, we've gotten to a point where that's, that's not okay. That's perfectly okay. You know, just, just own the mistake. Well, some, I mean, of the, some of the shit, they go back decades. Right. I mean, uh, that being said, I'm glad there was no Facebook when I was in high school. Like that's me too. That, that could, that could be a problem. Let but, me tell you, man, I was, I graduated at three. You're older than me, right? You're, I am older than you. I'm 10, 10 years old, nine years older than yeah, you. So I graduated. I was just starting to, after really college was kind of the whole, um, even, well, even remember on MySpace, that was kind of a thing. It was, I was never on it, but it was a thing. I had yeah. a MySpace. There you go. Tom was my buddy, you know, let's archive, let's get into the archive. So actually to, to, when I ran in 2012 for the Senate, um, I, I didn't even remember this thing. I mean, I had it maybe in 05 or 06. At some point, people just got off MySpace. They just kind of went to Facebook. Right. MySpace kind of died. Actually, the guy Tom, um, the guy who founded it, I read this article about him a while ago. He made like a lot of money, like like a, like hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And he's just been like traveling and taking pictures and kind of living his best life. You know, he, he got out of that whole weird thing and right. made a lot of money. Good and for that, him. Now he's just kind of enjoying life, which is probably... Better off than some Zuckerberg, you know. Every every time he has to go to the Congress, he looks like the looks like an alien. <laughs> but um, anyways, I had this Facebook, and there was I was like young. I was like nineteen, twenty, right? Right. So there was a few pictures. One time we had a party. Uh, I had the refrigerator full of beer. 
like like the whole refrigerator was full of booze. We took a picture right. of it. Right. Twenty or twenty one or something. Um, there were some pictures with like women. I, it was like just kind of partying, drinking, and I forgot. I honestly forgot about it. I was like, I, I didn't even go on there. And you know this lady, Deb Berlini? She's like some energy. She's no, uh-uh. Energy divas or something. I don't know. It's somewhere. She did this like article and somebody sent it to me. And it was this hit piece basically saying like, party boy runs for Senate, you know? And it was all my MySpace pictures. From, <laughs> Jeez. And at the time I was like, this is way before this current. And I was like, right. oh my God, you know. I'm, well, you know, the, the male brain is not even fully developed till 25. So, you know, you got you to gotta allow for us to be dumb. I mean, I was dumb. I grew up on a... I grew up on a farm in a terribly small town. I had backwards attitudes. I mean, growing up, I mean, I am. Where'd you grow up? Squim, Washington. Squim. Before it was a retirement community, it was all farms, and so I live in a farm in a, a town of twenty eight hundred people, no diversity. And I mean, when when my family went a lot through of, a lot of whites, a lot of white people, and when <laughs> I mean, I will say like when my family went through an extremely messy divorce, my dad was a really bad guy, really ugly divorce. It was a kind of small town where I was no longer allowed to be friends with other kids my age, like age 10 or 11. Like, that was the level. Dang. And so I'm sure, was I, you know, consciously homophobic or things like that? Probably not consciously, but I probably said and did dumb things because I was a, a mm-hmm. young, stupid kid in a, in a farm town. So I'd be ashamed of myself now. But per, like well, I said, personal growth's a real thing. Well, now, for I mean, there's examples of even that one... Who was the young woman they hired to work for? I think it was Vogue a few months ago or maybe last year. And, and she had some tweet from like high school. Wow. And it was something, uh, it wasn't even that bad. I, I remember, whatever it was, I don't, I don't remember it as being something like, oh my God. Right. And she, she, they, she they, they didn't, they pulled the hiring because someone dug up some from my high school. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I have different thoughts. I mean, freedom of speech isn't freedom of con- from consequence. If you said yeah. something, you should own it. But there's nothing wrong with you going back and saying, look, I, w- I was dumb. I was I was stupid then. I mean, I can still remember um, when I was like 19 years old, I was working three jobs trying to go to college. And at my first, you know, one of my friends, um, I worked at Suncoast Video. Remember when they used to have videotapes? Yes. Um, so yeah, The rewinder. Yeah. So I was, you know, we worked at this video store and this guy was my closest friend at the store. And about six months after I was working there, I realized, oh, this guy's gay. And... I'm sure I'd met many gay people as a kid and didn't know it, but it was sort of the first time in my life that I had met. And I was just like, and instantly like a switch flips. It's like, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes people are backwards because of lack of personal experience. And I think, you know, I was one of those people. So there's no one's irredeemable. So we have to give people chance to be redeemed. Well, Um, it's like anything. I mean, this is history shows that when there's two groups, I mean, you know, the the last thing the, the other group, you know, wants is to humanize those people. Right. Right, you, know, you exactly. other them, you, they aren't humans. They aren't, you know. Right. This is, this is kind of a very, I mean, very it's, it's, common strategy. It's where partisan politics is. I mean, we always say it's worse than it's ever been, but it really is where partisan politics is headed. Right? I was a longtime Republican. I think you were too. Yeah, I, I, I quit on uh, last year, so I filed to run for the Senate as an independent. Uh-huh. Didn't end up working out, but I filed a nonpartisan. I've been that since. I mean, I, I have so many friends that are really good friends of mine that are logical, rational people. And they're they're kind of the way they rationalize or make excuses for some of the the things some of these Republicans say is like beyond beyond my it's like mental gymnastics try or they just say yeah you know I I just it is what it is and I kind of you know what's his name uh the guy J D Vance mm-hmm. you see him he's running for Senate in Ohio mm-hmm. hillbilly elegy guy yeah he had all these tweets in 2016 basically knocking Trump right and now he's out there saying well look you know he's the guy gotta kind of gotta go with him. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I was a, you know, longtime Republican. Maybe I was too moderate for some, but I was a loyal. I was even a party officer. I was, I was vice chair of District Twenty Two. Like I was, I'd gone to party conventions. Um, there was, you know, ten years ago, twelve years ago, there was some diversity of thought. Right, there was room for someone like me who I am. I am pro-choice. There and may, there there may have been some, then. but I mean, I remember in two thousand eight, I was, I was twenty three. And I was really excited about Ron Paul. I mean, that was my guy. I was right, like Ron right. Paul. Very, very. Ex- I was right. very excited. I was. I was one of those Ron Paul people. <laughs> you know, I was. I was one. But of you the- were fun to run into at a bar, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I was just one of those people. He got me. He got me. You know, inspired me. Got me excited. I, I really liked him. Anyways, I go to the convention in 08 to the Captain Cook, and I had no idea what this stuff was. Right. I didn't know there was a convention. There was district conventions and state conventions. I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. But I figured it out because I wanted to be involved. I become a district delegate. I go to the convention. I'm with the Ron Paul group. They basically kicked us out. 
Yeah. They, they didn't want Randy. Remember the whole thing? Were you down yeah. there in 08? I was not there in 08, but I remember hearing about it. You know, 12 was kind of a similar type deal. Yeah, and, um, and, and it is cyclical. You know, there are times when they're, you know, more moderate Republicans are tolerated, and then there will be a Tea Party type purge. Um, but, you know, I just, I finally gave up on January 8th. So two days after the insurrection, I just changed my registration because I had reached out to some people in the party, actually. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, whatever, what, however you think this came about, whatever you think happened on the 6th, you got to condemn it. I'm from a law enforcement family. They are beating cops with flagpoles. I mean, Whoever I knew, these people are, you got to condemn it. And they just would not. I and, watched and it kind of live, you know, just the certain, certain parts of video from the news. And then I saw video clips here and there. I knew it was bad. I was like, this right. is horrible. This looks like a third world fucking coup. You right, know? right, right. I always knew it was bad. But then the New York Times did that video. Oh, my God. Yeah. What, what, anybody who says, even the people, some of the people who were um, in the Congress who were fighting these people. Yeah, you see, come them, out you see and, them pushing desks in front of doors. And, and now they're coming and out and saying, coming, oh, it was just, it was just tourists. tourists. It was just uh, people coming to see the Capitol. Like, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, the, it's this thing we see where the norms get pushed and they get pushed and they get pushed. And, and at some point you have to push back, right? And, yeah, and, and I, 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 I'm not in any ways making like, the, I, I, I hate when people make the Nazi comparison, but, but, but Goebbels did say something very, very, very um, profound, that if you say a lie enough... You know, right. if you keep it saying it, becomes the truth. People believe it. Yeah, and and that's you know that's how propaganda works. And there's so many things that I have like friends that you you, you get into these arguments and it's almost not worth arguing. Right. But but they they like they think this thing was no big deal and it's all overspun and nothing happened and it's it's no big deal and it is it is a big deal. It was a big deal. Right. I mean, senators were fleeing. The vice president was locked in a room with rioters outside the door. I mean, it's I don't yeah. know how it gets to be a bigger a- deal. Anybody who says, and I talked to. Senator Murkowski, we did a podcast recently. We right. she talked about her, what she experienced. But anybody who tells me if they were to got a hold of Pelosi or Pence or anybody they didn't like, right. like history shows when a mob takes over, like it, shit happens. It would have happened. They would have yeah. either fucked them up or killed them, I believe. Or held them hostage. Or I mean, if they would have actually physically, because because at one point you see them in the video and they can see some people escape. Like the, the security guard walked them away, and then a group of them can see members getting away, and right. they 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 freak out. Right. Just imagine if they would have. Caught they, one I mean, of those they people. erected a mock gallows outside the building. I mean, and, it's... and they, they had they had weapons, they had bats, they had they had chemical spray. They were dragging cops into the crowd, beating the cops. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know how you can, you know, maybe you can say I can't, but maybe you can say, well, the president wasn't directly responsible at the time. But how you can excuse what those people were doing? I mean, I, I remember it vividly because I was watching it live, and it's my son's birthday, right? Happy birthday! Mm-hmm. His birthday is January sixth, and he's watching it, and. This is a 10-year-old, then now 11-year-old boy saying, knowing what's going on. He's saying, and you know, he says to me, is Lisa okay? Please find out if Lisa's okay. Because he knows, he's met Senator Murkowski, he knows her. Like, he knows what a mob looks like. He knows what an insurrection well, it looks was like. It was absolutely a mob. I mean, yeah. I, I think some people go a little far and say, oh, all 70 million people. No, or like that. Right. No. But the ones that were there... You know, the ones that were, especially the ones that were, were breaching and that were, right. do, fuck those people. You know, that's bad. And I'm glad that people are getting arrested. Hundreds and I think of everybody should be charged. Yeah, hundreds of people. Anyone who went through a line of police. And that video, yeah. the crazy thing about the video is it shows, the New York Times video, it shows how so much happened before the speech. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't even after the speech they all marched over. There was already people over there, organized. Yeah, they were talking. You get the video. You get the snippets of the conversation. I mean, it's they had they had radios. They, they had they, they had intent. They had vests. They yeah. had gear. They had all. I mean, they were clearly organized. And you could see even the night before, people were talking about it on on social media, um, and some Facebook videos. We're going to storm the Capitol. We're going to take the Capitol. Um, the, the the FBI was warned. The Capitol right. police were warned. Yeah, they, I mean, they had given tips. And so, tips. how does the party of law and order excuse that? I mean, that that's what's that's what troubles me about the Republican Party today is. The party of law and order can excuse that. The party of fiscal conservatism can excuse what's happening at the state level. I mean, it seems like they're in a position now where they punish competence in favor of obedience. If you're obedient, you're good. But if you're competent, if you're Kathy Giesel, if you're Chuck Kopp, if you're Jennifer Johnston, if you're John Coghill, these people lose, not because they're not representing their their, their constituents well, not because they don't know what they're doing, because... Like them or not, they're some of the smartest people in the building. But because they're not loyal, well, what bugs me the most is is it's really it's not the average person, it's it's the elected officials and the party officials right. who have this blind uh, loyalty or obedience to Trump because either they really 
you know, I don't even think most of them actually believe it. Most of them aren't like, I want to be loyal to somebody. I want to be subservient. Right. They just know that if they don't do that, then they're going to get purged. Right. And that is like classic, you know, kind of bad. Those things don't end up in, look at history. Mussolini right. had that kind of, you know, that cult around. I mean, it's not good. No, I, I think there there really needs to be a coalition of the rational, right? Like forget, I, I will take um, ethics and competence over ideology any day. Just show me someone who's honest and going to follow the law and knows how to do the job. And I will almost divorce ideology from that because they will do so much less. Well, damage. if somebody's honest and rational and you disagree on things, you can still talk and they won't figure, hurt people. figure it out. Right. I mean, um, and, you know, and my problems, you know, with the Denlevy administration are obvious and I'm very public about them. No, but... really? You? you, you? <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. My, my wife loves my Twitter, uh, by the way. But, but, you know, to me, what it goes back to and, and a little bit of an evolution, right? When they, when we, um, when Dunleavy won, um, you know, the governor and I met with um, uh, Governor-elect Dunleavy and Tuckerman, and we promised them a gold-plated transition, and I will help you. I said, look, your success is Alaska's success. Tell me how I can help. And even after they were elected, I would reach out, you know, be careful of this, watch out for that. Um, and when people tried to talk about you know, in February when he rolled out his budget and people wanted to talk about a recall then, I said, give me a break. You know, he had a bad pr press conference. Let him try, let him, let him give it a shot. Um, but when his vetoes came out in late that summer, um, it was clear what this guy was to me. It's, you're a bully. You know, when you have power and you use the power to inflict pain or, or with an ambivalence towards people's pain, you're a bully. And I mean that because, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm fiscally conservative, believe it or not, very fiscally conservative. I, I don't believe you should spend a penny over what you bring in. But when your vetoes show, I'm going to hit Alaska Legal Services, I'm going to hit victims of domestic violence. Oh, the curling club, they can keep their money and their equipment. I don't care. You know, that, or I'm going to expand the governor's office by 30%. That $2 million doesn't matter. When you veto, and the purpose of those vetoes is almost violent in the sense that it harms real people, that's when it tells you there's a bully. And I sort of go back to... But, but, but being a bully doesn't, even if that's the case, doesn't, that's not something you should get. For me, a recall, it's, it's like, we talked about this before, it's got to right. be egregious. And he won an election that people voted for him. Obviously, there was this Walker baggage thing that right. I, I'd say, I'd argue, allowed him to really avoid a lot of things in the summer of 2018. Absolutely. Um, and then he promised these big checks and, and you know, the people vote and they, I think are now realizing they're not getting the big checks, but that, that's in my view why we have elections. And to me, to recall somebody in my view, I think it has to be agree. I mean, egregious, you know, really bad. I mean, I think we were looking at us and, and it's important to kind of, you know, cause we are today where we are post COVID. It seems like a hundred years ago, but transport yourself back to then we were talking about more or less the end of the university, more or less the end of the ferry system, um, no homeless services, you know, potentially hundreds of people freezing to get to death in the winter, the end of public broadcasting. I mean, such a breakdown of state services that, but for the recall, which especially, essentially it neutered that, right? Tuckerman left, Don Arduin left, and now his budgets are Bill Walker light budgets. The, 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 so so the, the recall, the, in a sense, that's true, but pulled him back. That's true, but... I think I, I try to think down, the, you know, I try to think into the future. And right. does this mean that every governor now who does something the political opponents don't like is now going to get recalled? That's what the judge talked about a little bit. Right. Right. This recall and, you know, on demand. And you can you can agree or disagree with that. But I think when someone is positioning themselves to do basically a decade's worth of damage to the university system to potentially destroy the permanent fund, which is, if you understand the finances, the only way Alaska continues to exist as a, as a state on a, you know, a first world level, then I think you pull out all the stops. I think when you love things, you fight for the things you love. And if there's a bully, the only thing a bully responds to is sort of violence in kind. And if that's 20,000 people showing up in one day to sign a petition saying, you're horrible at your job, please leave. So be it. I mean, that in my mind, that's where it is. Yeah, I, mean, now, I, I, you, you I can... see your point. I see your point. I'm, I'm not going to say I totally disagree with you. You're wrong. I just, I don't know. I mean, look at this assembly level now. There's recalls going on with uh, Felix Rivera, and now there's Meg Zolotel, and now there was talking about Kelly Merrick, and it's like, it just seems like this has opened the doors for, you know, if you don't like somebody, we can just re recall them. Well, and I, I think, you know, it's okay to be alarmed by that because I think you're right. I think people win elections, elections have consequences. But it's important to remember, too, 
how massively, nearly impossible the burden is, right? You've got to get te- got to get signatures from 10% of the voters, get that application and somehow get the attorney general for the guy you're trying to recall to approve it, sue him, and then go get signatures of 25% of voters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that burden is, as we've seen, and if COVID hadn't interrupted, we all know- Would, would you at least, and I think you, I think you came in support of this, would you at least agree that- the, the loophole needs to get fixed about who's funding these things. Oh, I agree with that. I actually put in a letter and testified in favor of Rasmussen's uh, bill because um, the recall is complying with every law because there are no laws. Mm-hmm. But I think the flip side of that is more disturbing, right? Because you've got a sitting governor who can actually right now solicit unlimited yeah. donations. And, and he can try- sit, you know, he's sitting. Um, I'm you know, still trying to figure out where that money goes. I mean, could that money be transferred to another um, independent expenditure group? So his money will now be tainted. He played a role in raising it. He can't use it. It's got to go back to the donors because the, well, the like, rules for independent expenditure groups are clear. The candidate can't fundraise, can't communicate, can't coordinate. With recalls, you sort of can. But now in the recall, he's actively fundraising. So for the folks who aren't maybe uh, listening who don't know, the recall group formed raised money, got signatures. Right. At some point, du- the, another group formed uh, Keep Dunleavy. There was another one before that, I think. Stand Tall with Mike, there which was another one. somehow went bankrupt. Yeah. Well, we don't, no one knows because no one has to report any of this stuff. Right. But now there's a, another enough. group. And I know in one of those, a couple of year and a half ago, they had an event at one of those cons- Davis constructors, and I heard they raised like 60 grand at that one. Right. So, you know, if, if this group, and there's emails going out, and they're, they're fund, you know, fundraising about this recall still, if they have, let's say, half a million dollars, let's just say for, I don't know, I have no idea, but let's just say for, for an even number, half a million dollars. Um, and then the recall, at some point, they just say, we're done. They stand we're, down, we're, right. we're, we're off, we're not doing it. Can that money be put into another independent expenditure group? Because you can, you can transfer money from IE to IE, right? You can, but you couldn't. What they would have to do is... And, and at that point, do those donors of the first one become, you have to disclose those donors. Right. So what would happen is... They'd either have to donate that money to charity or give it back to the donors. Because if the governor tries to use that for an IE that's to his benefit, he'll go to jail. Like he because he had a role in raising that money. And that's the golden rule of IEs. Is it jail or is it a fine? Or I mean, what, what I mean who no no one's ever really been caught doing that. And and, you know, they've got attorneys. They're not they're obviously not stupid enough to attempt to repurpose those monies because well, that's, I, a, I that's wish, a bright line. I just wish that the recall group and the, and the opposition group I wish they would have, from the beginning, had to tell people where the money's coming from because oh, that, that to me is important. I agree. No, and I, I think probably, you know, in my experience with my knowledge, it probably would have been flattering for the recall because they had bipartisan donors. They had thousands of donors. I, small asked, donors. I asked them many times. Right. I asked them for the list or maybe give me the top five. Right. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't, um, right. Give it over. Yeah. I, mean, I guess I don't blame them. Maybe I wouldn't either if I was. Right. They're doing not required it. to. I mean, the only thing we knew was, um, that I think the RGA donated 150 or 200,000 to Dunleavy's because, and we knew that because they had tax filings where that showed Because up. they had to report it, yeah. Right, they had to report it to the IRS for separate reasons. So, so speaking of elections and, and, and all these uh, election stuff and dark money, um, the, the ballot measure two, which you were part of. Right. Uh, and I read the book, uh, Politics Industry by Catherine Jell Michael stuff. Porter. Right. So, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm sold, but I'm, I voted against it, and I've said this before, because I think the ranked choice is going to confuse people. Now, that being said, the better elections group sticking around, the state's already starting to do, to, to do a little bit of education. So, so maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's going to be okay. Right. Um, but I am a little more, conv- I used to be a top two primary guy. Right. I was like, there's one primary, top two. Right. But, but I can see where the, the book goes into why that, you know, there's other problems with that. And right. Sometimes right. you get two really extreme people or. Right. You don't get real choices. I mean, this is about giving real choices, and then how do you facilitate mm-hmm. those choices? And yeah. so it's it's a change. It's a sea change to get used to ranking and to get used to saying, oh, you know, um, Lisa Murkowski is my first love. That's who I'll vote for. But if I can't get her, I'll vote for John Wayne Howe or whatever. I mean, that's a different way of thinking than most people going so, to the, the ballot box where it's all or nothing. So, so before we had party primaries, now we have the single primary. Right. And like I said before, I mean— if it was top two, you could get two Republicans or two Democrats or two. Just, a non-competitive race, right. Which, which many districts in the state and the country, you know, a lot of, most of them are the, whoever wins the primary kind of. That's and that's it. what Washington state has. And there's a lot of dissatisfaction because I think, you know, maybe you have a district that's strongly um, Democratic, uh, 60-40, but that means on the general election, 
maybe 40% that are Republican don't have a horse in the race and they don't feel like even showing up because they feel disenfranchised. So this is a way where there's real choices. And of course, that means the debate is broader. You know, maybe there's one person and their issue is climate change. And but for that person being in the top four, that wouldn't get talked about, but it's important to talk about it. So that diversity of thought, it's just, you know, that 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 ranking of the four people is just about facilitating that. So I've I've done a little bit of a kind of hypothetical elections top four and how how would it work? And I've I've we've done governor, I think I did it I was talking to it was a while back. We we did like a Dunlavy, Bill Walker, Bill Wilikowski, and uh, Laura Reinbold. We tried kind of hypothetically. So I was going to ask you about the Senate race mm-hmm. and, and kind of just uh, kind of what, what, what do you uh, brainstorm, but kind of storyboard this out here. So you have Lisa Murkowski, Kelly Chewbacca, um, some demo. I heard LV Gray Jackson. Have you heard, have you heard that? I heard she might be I've, looking at I've it. heard her name about running for higher office. So let's just say, for example, here, we're just right. hypothetical. Lisa Murkowski, Kelly Chewbacca, um, LV Gray Jackson. And we probably got to throw an independent type in there. Maybe those two Ds. You just never know. Yeah. And then we have, let's just say we have a, maybe a very, not very financed independent let's person. Put, who, let's put Disco Ray in the mix. Why not? Ray Metcalf. We got disc, go. I love that. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay. So we got Disco Ray Metcalf, uh, LV Gray Jackson, Kelly Chewbacca, Lisa Murkowski. Right. Now, now the last person, the person who gets the least amount of votes, they're, they're, out. they're, they're out and their votes get recycled. Right. Their second votes. Okay, so I think I'm going to go with Disco Ray. I think that's probably right. Least amount of votes. Now, now Ray's been a Republican, but he's also been... He was a Democrat in he 2016. He was all kinds of things, and, right. and you know, he, who knows who's going to... Maybe he gets 5 or 6%. Um, but a lot of people who vote for Ray, they're probably going to go... Where are they going to go? Are they going to get evenly distributed? Some or? to LV, some to Lisa, probably. And then probably nobody gets a majority at that point. I'm getting, Here's a question. How many... What's the most somebody in that race gets on the first round? I think 35, maybe 40%. Maybe I mean, I think if you want something really instructive, look at um, Senator Murkowski's 2016 reelect because she had an opponent to the right and two opponents to the left. Mm-hmm. So she gets 41 or 42%. Uh, Joe Miller gets 29%. And then the, the Democrat and the Democrat-adjacent independent split the rest. That's the Margaret Stock year, Margaret right? Stock, Margaret Stock. Yeah. Ray was in that one. Disco Ray. Ray. Disco Ray. And then Joe Miller, of course, got in as a libertarian, mm-hmm. but really running to Lisa's right. Basically a proxy for, for where uh, I think Kelly Chewbacca is. So Lisa was at 40. 41 or 42, yeah. And, and if this was a ranked, she got the plurality, not, not the majority, which right. is pretty common in Alaska. Governor's right. races have had this happen. And, um, yeah, I think Senator Sullivan just this past election was the first senator to get a majority since 2000. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's that uncommon. Okay, so Disco Ray's out. Let's say the votes get distributed kind of evenly. Nobody's at a majority. Um, now, who goes out? Now, here's the question, right? Democrats are, what, 13 14% of the... I think that's about right. Yeah. Were Republicans 20-something? 23 or 24, yeah. So so you'd, you'd think probably uh, the LV would, LV would be, be out next. Likely. Yeah, I, that would be my guess. As and I bet you all her second votes go to Lisa. Or I guess third, third or her... Her second votes, right? People right. Her, her, her second choice or third choice, if that second choice happened to be Disco Ray, you know, you go to the third choice. So, I mean, I think if you look at the 2010 um, write-in and you look at the 2016 re-elect, the dynamic's the same. There's about 30% to Lisa's right, the rest to her left, and she's in the middle with, the, you know, the plurality lead. And it's hard to imagine that if the Democrat is eliminated that support will naturally go to her not likely to skip over her in any significant way and if somehow kelly chewbacca gets eliminated because lv did better than her same thing happens so i mean this 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 drives support to the person who can honestly appeal and represent the most constituencies now now what about um i'm sure people like chewbacca or maybe anybody actually um who who have these hardcore supporters they're probably going to say only vote for me right there, you know, there's always going to be people who, I mean, there's people who just, um, if you actually look at uh, raw vote totals, there's always people who skip races. Oh, like they dro- literally, because, dro- drop off, yeah. Or or they actually skip stuff at the top just because they say, you know, they wouldn't vote for Trump or Biden. Yeah. So they skip it. So there will be a certain number of people who rank one and walk away. So if you rank one and your guy finishes or your person finishes last, your ballot just goes away. 
Yeah, I mean, it's tabulated in that first round. But, but you, you, you don't get a second, third, fourth uh, you, choice. You've got the opportunity. Right. I mean, you've got the opportunity. If it's blank, it just goes away. Right. There's nothing to tabulate. Correct. Which Bro. is the same circumstance you're in if you vote for the third or fourth place person in the current system. I mean, if you vote for them and they're in third or fourth place, your vote doesn't count towards the outcome. Right, but just just, just to be specific for the, for listeners, if you if you rank choice vote and you just pick one person and that person goes out first or, or last or second to last, then, then you're losing the ability to have an impact on the rest of right. the race. I would encourage every voter to honestly look at who remains and if they have any preference whatsoever between those people, they should... They should exercise that vote because every voter has that power. Now, now, if you absolutely can't stand one of the people, if you're just like, I hate this person, then you have to just. Well, then look, look at it. If you hate one of the people on the ballot, look at it as an opportunity to vote against them three times, you know, mm-hmm. How, however you got to look at it. Right. But everyone is going to have that choice. And I think everyone should exercise it. I think and- some people just think kind of generally or maybe I guess theoretically thinking about it. I don't like this person. I don't want to even put anything next to their name. I guess that's what I've heard from some people. Right. And that's and that's every voter's right in, in the old system. So have at it. But we are going to give you this opportunity so we don't end up with outcomes that are contrary to the actual will of the voter. So so you were you weren't directly involved in the better elections, but you were you were helping out, you were draft I mean you were you weren't working for the campaign, were you? I worked yeah, I was kind of involved all the way soup to nuts. So I, I helped draft it, I helped defend it in court. Um, I, at different debates, I should, but, but you weren't, you weren't like working, were you, um, working for the campaign, like Jason or Shay or I was advising you... and working for the campaign okay. throughout. Yeah. So one thing, and I think I've asked you this before. One of the things a lot of people say is, oh, this was just organized just to help Lisa. That's yeah. what people have said. That's kind of a narrative out there. I'm sure you've heard that. Is that the case? And if not, then talk more broadly about wh- why this came about. I mean, I was inspired to do it, to work on it. The reason that got me up out of bed every morning was what's happened in Alaska politics, which is the best of us is when people from both parties can kind of come together and make good policy. And I had seen, I'd personally witnessed at least two cycles of that happening and two cycles of the purge, right? A Republican gets into a coalition with Democrats or works on a bill with Democrats, and then they're not good enough and they're cycled out in the Republican primary. Um, happens a little bit on the left, not as much. And I said, I mean, really what motivated me was state-level legislative politics. We got to get off this merry-go-round where we start to make good policy like SB 26, the POMV law. Go look at the roll call for that vote. It was neither caucus. It was it was members of both caucuses mm. coming together. That's us at our best. That's you know the old bipartisan Senate working group. And yet every time that happens, we take these people out. Why would we take people out who are actually doing what a majority of their constituents want? And so I just wanted to get off that marrow ground. Um, I think, you know, certainly Senator Murkowski is an example. I mean, she's someone I admire because I think she does things for the right reasons because she thinks they're right. I don't agree with everything she does. I don't think anyone does. I one third well, of she's what not she, a, she's not a sycophant for Trump. Which... Right. One third of what she does, I don't agree with, but I don't think she ever does it for reasons of obedience or cowardice. And her most controversial votes, in my opinion, are her greatest moments of saying kind of, you know, Ted Stevens style, to hell with the consequences. And so a, a system that punishes that but rewards, um, you know, being a, a sycophant, why, so, why would we be interested in that? So I, I think it's like beyond safe to say that if this ballot measure two wouldn't have passed, Lisa would have no path in the Republican primary. Um, I wonder what. She would have done if she were if she were to run. What she would have done in that case, I you know she would have had all the options open. She would have had a petition run open. She would have had a, another write in, or she may have decided not to run. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of it's sort of a question of kind of who knows. I mean, so the petition option, which I'm familiar with, I I tried that. Um, I got the signatures. I right. ended up dropping out for kind of. But you were disadvantaged, right? Because you had to do the signatures, and then you don't get to appear on the primary. You don't get that contact with voters. I mean, the thing I like about ballot yeah, measure, too, is it true. treats you equally to Senator Von Imhoff as a Republican or whatever Democrats in the race. You get to stand on equal footing and say, I'm a nonpartisan and I'm running, too. I, mean, I only had to get 100 and what the hell was it? 160 or something around there. Um, but I did them all myself. Right. I had a few friends help me out here and there. But uh, it took me, you know, I did it in a month and a half or something. Right. I probably could have done it sooner if I, if I really needed to. But I spent a lot of time doing that, knocking doors, talking to folks. But yeah, I didn't get the primary. Right. So you you have that barrier between you and the voters, which I think is, you know, honestly, why 
Why did we decide that the parties are the gatekeeper to the ballot? Why not just have Alaskans be? So, so now the top four go, or if it's less than four, let's just say if it's could two could be people. three, yeah. Could so, be. if it's if it's two people, it just becomes basically an election, right? Yeah, that that regular style election, nothing changes. If right. it's three or more, three or four, then it goes to the now. Catherine Jell in the book and Michael Porter they argue for a top five, right? That's their thing. Why did why did why did Alaska kind of go top four? So I selected four for a couple of reasons. One, I think you know, then you've got a wide enough spectrum, but not too wide. The other is we're always going to have a fifth line for the write-in in Alaska because we're required to have a write-in line. So in reality, you're going to have that fifth choice if someone's running write-in. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no write-in in the primary, right? No, no write-ins in the primary, but we're required to have write-ins in the general, kind of based on the prospect that every Alaskan's allowed to vote for whoever they want at the end of the day. So what do you, what do you think is going to happen between now and you know next November of 2022? As far as getting folks, and I know a better elections group still around. The Division of Elections has been doing some stuff. But I just think it's, I always go back to my friends who aren't in politics, and I talk to them a lot, and they don't know any of this. They don't really follow this stuff at all. Right, right. You know, state stuff, Juno stuff, this voting stuff. So I, I just, I think it's very important that at least at the very minimum, at the at the pa- uh, polling locations, the people who are going to be there are going to be very informed yeah. on how to tell people what's going on. Yeah, the Division of Elections has an ad hoc working group. They are working really hard to educate folks. You've seen some of the public relations stuff they're doing. I think they're going to do a fantastic job. We hope to get this legal challenge out of the way so they can just kind of plow ahead. Because, of course, right now there's a pending legal challenge. That just got heard a couple days ago, right? On Monday we had oral arguments in that case. Yeah, This is a Scott Kolhas, libertarian guy, and yeah. Jacobus. And uh, Bob Bird. And what, what are they, they're saying this whole thing's fucked up or? Um, I mean, my personal opinion as an attorney, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm biased, but I don't think they raise a, a real coherent legal case. What are, what, what's it. their case? What's, what's their? Um, it seems to be a lot of policy objections repackaged as constitutional problems. They don't like it. And they think they attempt to manufacture a special constitutional right for parties to electioneer on the ballot. They said... If you don't let the parties identify their candidate on the ballot, you're violating the party's rights. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is a U.S. Supreme Court case that says there is no such right. Because if there was such a right, where's the NRA's label? Where's Planned Parenthood's label? Where's organized labor's label? States can choose to let party identification be on the ballot. And the par- ballots t- still will have party well, identification. I, I always got frustrated with how the state paid for party primaries. Now, now the flip side is the p- parties do it themselves. And I, that's like That's even... To think either party could organize that kind of <laughs> holy yeah. shit, you know. Th- think about that goes back to the 18th, 19th century, right? Well, like that's how, what the, how, how these that's parties. That's what the presidential to... nomination process essentially is. Still, is that the parties run it, and it is weird and varies from state to state. Look at how messy that caucuses in Iowa got screwed up. Even our thing here, the preference poll. Right. I mean, to, tr- to trust the parties to pick. That's how it used to be a long time ago. You know, a hundred and some years ago, the parties had all the basically the power. Right. And so now they'll still have the power to say they can communicate with the public. They can say we like that person, not these other people. Mm-hmm, sure, yeah. um, they 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 retain all of their free speech powers, fundraising powers, ability to endorse. But what they can't do is artificially gatekeep candidates away. So if there is a moderate Republican that couldn't get through a Republican primary, but it's broadly popular with the public. That person has a path now. Same with Democrats. If there's a moderate, you know, Adam Wool faced a pretty stiff challenge from his own party in the primary mm-hmm. he could have been taken out he's a taron hughes um yeah. pretty sure it was taron hughes yeah. yeah that sounds right um i mean he's a moderate democrat i i like adam you know full disclosure i like adam he's a great guy adam's great yeah big he fan. represents i think that district very well he could have been taken out in a primary sort of artificially because that's a small subset of voters a- adam's almost more i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say republican but adam's not i don't, I don't know if adam I don't really put him in the Democrat, but he's more independent. I mean, he's a registered Democrat, um, but I think he is um, – he's open to working with anyone on any sticky issue. He's been a business owner. He's got that point of view. Um, Blue Loon, shout out. Blue Loon, yeah. Not Well, I guess he doesn't own the Blue Loon anymore. But he, he sold it, it and then it burned down. He sold it and it burned down, and now they're halfway through rebuilding yeah. it last time I went I've by. I've been there. Good, good, good. good. That's concert. a great place. That's a great place. Had a yeah. drink. It was great. Well, yeah, this this uh, I think the next year is going to be what I'm what I'm really going to be interested in watching is how these campaigns re- like act, right? W- how they what they how they adapt, or if they adapt their message. And that's the thing. It's like you know these are tools. Use them. I I've told people from both parties, um, leadership in both parties. I'm I'm here and available. 
I want everyone to understand how to use it. I don't want a candidate to run and not understand what they're running in. I don't care what your ideology is. If you want to understand how the system works, I'll sit down with you. Alaskans for Better Elections will sit down with you. Division of Elections will sit down with you. Learn how it works because, I, I mean, I truly think it is a better system, and it's a system that opens up pathways to candidates maybe we've never seen before. Atypical candidates, younger candidates, more diverse candidates, candidates like you. Now they're, you know, they when independent and non-conventional candidates start now, it's like they're starting a 400-meter race, but they're 100 meters behind. Yeah, so like, and I've, I've talked about this before, and I've, I've thought about this a lot. Like, in my last, you know, the one I got out of, because Democrat broke her word and, you know, stayed on the You could have stayed in. Stayed in the race, so I, I just, there was no path and three-way, and it was just very right. messy. But if it was a four-way race, right, if it was me, Duplantis, you know, George Floyd is, is fake guy, <laughs> um, UPS trucks are tracking us, the government, uh, Rosalind Casey, nice lady who's Democrat, who's delusional, who has no idea what's happening, and Von Imhoff, right? What do you think would have happened in that case, in a ranked? I think you and Senator Von Imhoff would have been the last two candidates. I do think that. I don't know how that would have ultimately tabulated, but you would have had a path and, and a way to convey your message. You know, side note, how terrifying is it that a guy like that almost beat Senator Von Himoff in that Republican primary? That's well, it's another— be, it, it, it's, because he, it's not because of anything he did, because he had no money. He had a couple grand. It's because she, one, didn't campaign, and, and two, was Republican primary voters were pit, fucking pissed. And, you know, she's actually pretty lucky because cop in that district lost, uh, Jennifer Johnson next door lost, Kathy Giesel next door lost. She almost lost. And that guy didn't do anything. Other right. than a little bit of Facebook here and there. Right. I mean, there, there li- is... literally on Dan Fagan, Dan Fagan's trying to tell him, hey, man, let me help you out here. Tell me George Floyd's a real person. OK, he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Full I mean... on fucking like he's seen movies where in Hollywood where people die. How do I know he's really a person? Right. And, and if that's not an indictment of the closed primary system, like, I don't know that's what pretty is pretty bad. I, mean, I think you just proved my point is if we have a decision making process that spits out those kind of choices, almost in her case. We got a problem. I mean, you may not like Senator Ron Imhoff. I like her very much. I think she's very smart. I don't like her. I mean, yeah. I, I try to, but she, <laughs> I mean, it's, she, I, doesn't, I, she doesn't make it easy. She works hard. She does a good job. Uh, you know, I think she's smart. I don't <clears throat> disagree with that. I just don't like her because right. I've tried. But, it's, but if you don't think she, she is quantums more qualified for the job than Stephen Duplantis, then I, of, I don't know. Of I, course I think that. Yeah. I mean, she she... Despite of my, my my dislike of her, I even came out and said after the primary, after I withdrew because of the situation, I said, you got to vote for her. Right. Because the other lady is just doesn't have a clue what's happening. Right. We can't have that. And that, and that goes back to my and point. she's still got 40%. Right. I mean, that goes back to my point of um, where I've gotten to in my political life is give me competence and give me good ethics over ideology. Because – there are people who vote for their party, even though, and and I have good friends, you know, obviously on both sides of the aisle. You know, my family, famously Democrats, I was a Republican, now I'm nonpartisan. But I have friends, intelligent, articulate friends, who vote for someone who they know is nuts. Well, they're the Democrat in the race. Well, they're the Republican in the race. And it's like, what are you doing? I know. I mean, if you were... If you were going to have heart surgery, would you let a person who's a dentist work on you because they're the Democrat? I mean, give me a break. Would you let someone babysit your kids just because they're a Democrat, even though they're they're out and out nuts? I mean, this is how we run our lives, and the stakes are too high to make decisions in such a backwards way. Yeah, it's um, it's concerning. I think about it a lot. It makes me not happy. Well, maybe or, you got, maybe you got another run in it you. It makes me Jeff. not uh, optimistic. I don't know. I'm, Juno's so fucked up, man. I mean, I you, you were there. You were there on the inside. I think it's a lot worse than, since you were there. So it's 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 a challenging place to work. There are great people there. Um, it is cha- it's challenging, for both for reasons of isolation and the culture and the divides. Um, there's just got to be more people who create bridges oh. and more ethics. Just more dealing with people in good faith. Don't say something publicly in a hearing or in a press conference you know is false. Like let's just. Can we agree to stop that stuff? Making up fake numbers, making false accusations. I mean, let's just bring it back home. Yeah. Because if we do, I mean, really, the solutions to Alaska's problems are right there. How many states would trade places with us having the most land, the most coastline, the most lakes, the most rivers? And we've got an endowment that can pay three quarters to 80% of our way forever. Like we've got every, every opportunity is right in front of us. You know, we could have the best public education system in the world if we wanted to, well, if we had the will. 
That's a whole other podcast of, of, of why, why we... I thought we were going to make news why, right here. We were going to announce our joint ticket. Like, yeah. Let, 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 Who's on the top of the ticket, though? Coin flip. I don't know. Oh, I like that. like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm older than you. Ken, Kendall Landfield, Landfield. I mean, Kendall Landfield sounds better than Landfield Kendall. I think we can agree on that. People are going to think we're selling cars or doing Kendall Landfield. You know. Maybe we can benefit from that. You know, we do the black and do yellow a, logo and... Do a fundraiser. Just ride it. I'm not no. I'm in no way related to them, but I think we just ride it. Ride that name ID. <laughs> well, Scott, it was great talking to you. A lot of good topics. Um, always, always fun doing it. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're down in the landmine radio books. You know, you were the first, you and Austin were the first one. First ones, not the last. Hopefully, as long as they don't, you know, die on the way home, then I think we're going to be doing more of these. Yeah, sounds good, man. It's kind of morbid thought. Is <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way, way, way to bring the room down. You got to see his face. He's like, uh, what? <laughs> the fuck? Say? Yeah. All right, well, enjoy the summer. I know it's starting to finally be nice. Yeah. A little chilly, but today is a nice day. It's uh, Friday. So it's going to be a great weekend. Yeah. I'm going to do a little uh, little hike tomorrow. Nice. Check out the check out the beautiful state. All right, well, let's do it again, man. All right, Scott, thanks. Scott Kendall here. appreciate you coming in. Thanks. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Land, land.